Hello, this is Andy from Air Raid, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Rock on! Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Can you believe it? October already. The year is just flying by, but it certainly has been a pretty damn good year for metal. We've got uh, two guests for you on the show this week. We've got uh, Andreas Johansson from Air Raid, as well as Jimmy DeAnda from Lynch Mob. Of course, everybody knows who Lynch Mob is. They've got uh, their latest one out called uh, The Brotherhood. came out via Rat Pack Records a few weeks ago. So uh, Jimmy has hopped on board the show to tell us all about the album, as well as uh, his other band, Lies, Deceit, and Treachery. And as I mentioned, we also have on Andreas Johansson from Air Raid. Andreas is the founder of the band. And for those of you who've uh, never heard of Air Raid, then uh, after the show today, you'll know all about him, and uh, I think you're going to dig him. Definitely a lot of comparisons between the way that Andreas plays guitar and the way George Lynch plays guitar, and I thought that just, uh, you know, guitar-wise, this would be a good fit for the show. So that's what we got going this week is uh, a little drummer action with uh, Jimmy DeAnda and a little guitarist action with Andreas Johansson. But before we get down to that, how about a track of the week? All right, don't know if this is a track of the week or a teaser of the week. I know you're saying, what the heck is he on about this time? Well, on uh, November 10th, the uh, second album from Sweet and Lynch is due out from Frontiers. It's called Promised Land. And, of course, same lineup as before. Michael Sweet, vocals and guitars. George Lynch on lead guitars. James Lomenzo on bass. And uh, the man who seems to be everywhere, Brian Tishy on drums. And so uh, these guys got, got 11 tracks coming out. Name of the album is called Unified. And I know that uh, Michael and George are very excited about getting this one out, letting everybody hear it. And they already have released one single off to radio. And uh, we are going to use that radio single as our track or, I guess, TV of the week so off of the album Unified the second one from Sweet Lynch brought to us via Frontiers Records the name of this track is called Promised Land There you go, track of the week with Sweet and Lynch. That one's called Promised Land off of their brand new one. Coming out November 10th from Frontiers called Unified. So up first on the show this week, we've got Jimmy DeAnda. Jimmy's current gig is, of course, with Lynch Mob. Have their brand new one out called The Brotherhood. 
via Rat Pack Records just up the street here. And I got to say, very impressive release from these guys. Really a step above from the last release. Got to say that. Pop this one in. Was really surprised. It just has a lot of that classic Lynch sound, but it's uh, it just got a real cool band live sort of vibe to it. And I think that any longtime Lynch fan will get very much into the Brotherhood. So if you, uh, you haven't gotten this one yet, do yourself a favor and head up to RatPackRecords.com. And they've got CDs. They've got still got some bundles left. But definitely do yourself a favor and pick yourself up the Brotherhood. So uh, let's uh, let's get down to Jimmy Deanda talking to Richie all about uh, Lynch Mob, about the tour, all kinds of stuff. And before we just dive into this one, eh, the audio is a little bit weird on this one. Uh, Richie and I had to do a little bit of work on it. We got a total dropout at one point. Just a little bit of the little audio weirdness that's happening. But don't let any of that detract from uh, hearing what Jimmy has to say. So with that... Why don't we get into uh, Richie's talk with Jimmy DeAnda. Hey there. Hey, Jimmy. How you doing? It's Richie here from Focus on Metal for the interview. Hey, Richie. How's it going, Bart? You on the West Coast in L.A., Jimmy? Yeah, I'm in L.A. Yeah, is the weather good there? Uh, yes, it is a good morning. Where are you at? I'm just outside of Boston. Nice. Yeah, so Jimmy, you ready to get into the interview? Yeah, let's get right to it. So, Jimmy, how far back does your relationship go with George, Oni, and, and Sean? Yeah, actually, it's new with all of them. I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't know George... Uh, I, <laughs> I met him briefly as a young, young kid, but I didn't really know George until uh, 2000. I got a phone call from him. He was uh, looking for a drummer, and uh, he had, uh, got my number from, I think, from uh, Kevin Baldus from the band Lit. And um, he called me up and asked me to go on the road and do some dates with him, opening for Dio, which was really a lot of fun. And that's really where I, I, I got to know... Um, Oni and George through that experience, and and I had known Sean. I think right before that we had done like some small things together. We got to know each other in the late nineties, so it was all kind of a new friendship, uh, uh, like around seventeen years ago. Or so, so Jimmy, did you audition for the Lynch Mob gig at all? Was or was there any audition? Paired that it's more about the vibe and the relationships now more than the the playing. That's that's important. No, actually, it's just that you come down actually. It, it is, but it isn't. It isn't about playing. It's more about vibe and about hanging out. You know, it's uh, uh, you kind of want to know that you can be in a room or in a bus or a van with somebody for X amount of time. That that's really, you know, after playing for many years and being around for a hot minute, that's kind of I think what it's more like at that time. So, Jimmy, were you always a, a one band guy, or did you did you want to play with multiple people like a lot of guys do these days? Well, I, you know, it, it's really weird. I mean, I definitely. The guy that I would, I wanted to stay in the band that I was in. I really wanted to, you know, uh, the, the band I was in was Bullet Boys. You know, we had some success. We sold some records and did a platinum and a gold record. And, and I'll be honest with you, had I got on with the singer well enough, I, I'd still be in the band, but it just, there was too much friction there. And, uh, you know, and then with George, it's really different because it's, you know, there's an understanding about the business and, you know, because he plays with, with a lot of different bands and, um, you know, it's just kind of a new, I think it's, it's a new way of thinking these days. Is There's not a lot of bands who are just being, you know, under themselves. A lot of the musicians are out there playing with different guys, and they're out there doing records with other musicians, and they're on the road with different guys. So it's a different kind of mindset these days. I, I'm not so concerned. Like, there was years I was looking for a home, I called it. I wanted to find a band that was my guys. And... um you know, and, and I have a couple of homes, if you will, now. You know, I have two homes of bands that I play with on a regular basis that I'm putting records on stuff. So in that sense, you know, I'm able to still have some of that. But I know any working musician needs to go out and find work. And, and a lot of bands always or can't always find that much work for a single musician. So I think that's why a lot of, a lot of guys tend to travel outside see who else is doing what to see if they can have to make ends meet. So have you ever played at um, any of the shows that Chuck Wright held at uh, the Lucky Strike or the Whiskey, the tribute shows? I, I, I sat in at a couple of those, yeah. I, not the Whiskey one, but uh, the Lucky Strike one. So did you get a chance to rehearse much for those or was it last minute? Yeah, I, I, it, was, it was more of last minute. <laughs> it was more last minute for me where they called me and said, hey, can you, can you help out the guy we have? you know, didn't show up. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I'll just show up. So for me, and I, I like to be active when I can, you know, because, you know, it's easy to kind of get home off the road from something and kind of just, you know, become a vegetable. And, um, and, and I'm, you know, not exempt from that. I like, you know, sitting at home with my green hot tea and watching, you know, comedy or whatever. 
but I remember, you know, in order to stay, you know, fresh and have chops, you got to get out and play even, you know, when you're home. So when they call, I'll, you know, if I'm not busy, I'll definitely go up and play a couple of songs and have some fun. Yeah. So Jimmy, um, I'm curious, do you play a lot when you're, when you're off the road or not recording behind, like, do you play a lot of drums at home? Or do you play any other instruments? You know, it's funny. I, I have a recording studio here at my place, and uh, I play way more guitar and bass than I and mix, of course, than I do drums. I think I might I might play drums when I'm home. Sometimes, you know, maybe I'll do like you know five takes of a song at three minutes of song. You know, so that's the, the the gist of the amount of time. And then the rest of the day will be you know guitars and bass and you know and mixing and stuff like that. So. When I'm home, not so much, but when I know I have a show coming up or shows or a run, I will sit on the drums at least an hour to hour and a half a day, but then I do cardio as well, and I do light weights and just try to keep everything you know nice and hot. So I interviewed um, Sean McNabb in February last year, and he was doing the Resurrection Kings album. Oh, yeah. And he said back then that you were in the recording studio working on the Lynch Mob record. Um, was that the writing sessions, or were you even recording the album that far back? Because that was like over a year and a half ago. Unfortunately, yes. This one was a, more of a painstaking one. It, it took a, a while to, to get it together, and uh, you know. And I think, and, and when I always when that happens, and that happens, uh, I think it's always for the best, you know when we're putting things together and we think they're in the right place and then, you know, we take a little breather and listen back to the stuff, I think we realize, oh, I think we should address, you know, some some, some of the issues on the album. It's not feeling as fresh or feeling as, um, as kind of cohesive as it should be. And that's what happened. You know, we, we recut and then we uh, went back and, and only took some time to really work on the lyrics and, <clears throat> you know, and we all chipped in what we could and, uh, you know, it just took a, it took a little longer, but you know, again, I, I'm not one of those guys that you know, I don't need to shit a record out just because it needs to get done. I mean, I want to get it done. If it gets, if it's great, everybody's like does it in a matter of a week. That's great. I'll, I'm all about that. But you know, people want to take a little bit of time to kind of uh, figure it out. And then of course, there's always the, the you know trying to make sure that it coincides with the release date. So you know, it's always the, there's something to uh, contend with when you're putting stuff out, a record out, that is. Yeah, so Jimmy, I was at a gig in Salisbury last year and you played. Um, and you did the sound check in front of the audience because you were late to the gig. And um, George was playing and he turned around to you and he, he asked you to, you know, record something on, on, his, on his iPhone, a riff. Right. And that's not the first time that's happened. <laughs> so Jimmy, are you the guy responsible for recording all the risks when you're doing the sound check. Absolutely. I, I think I have more uh, uh, ideas and little kind of tidbits of George's guitar riffs than I have of any other guitar player that I work with because he's always, you know, he just, he just, he's one of those guys that, you know, I, he comes from the old school where that's where, he, that's how you kind of came up with songs back then. You, you jammed ideas and riffs live and then you cultivated them and then you, you know, when you had the time, then you put lyrics and melodies or, you know, you found somebody who could help you put those together. You know, I, I, he still works best like that. I know he does a lot of writing in, in the studio because that's what he did with with us. But he's done that with KXM and, and with other projects. And we, I also did a record with him called um, uh, Shadow Train, and that also was you know we wrote in the studio on the spot, and that was interesting for me because I'd never done that before. Completely rip, uh, write the record in the studio. So um, that was fun, but yeah, he's really, you know, uh, spontaneous with ideas and, and even for himself. And he knows when he's got something good because that, like you said, he'll turn it in and go, dude, record this quickly. And then I'll have my, you know, my stuff all right there, ready to go. Yeah. So there's lots of guitar players out there you hear over the years and they all have big egos and they don't want any other musicians bringing in any other riffs that they want to write them all themselves. Um, what's George like now with that process? Is he open to people bringing in riffs? Well, that's what's really funny. The, the first single of the record is is, is my song, and uh, yeah, I, it was a riff that I you know I come up with and put together, and I didn't think that he would really like it all that much. And then uh, you know he added a couple things, you know, in, in, the, in the I think in the at the end of the song he had some parts and stuff. I was really impressed, but. He was so open to the idea, and he's kind of done that, you know, with me in the past. Again, with that shadow stand record, there's a song on there as well that, like, kind of the main simple riff is my riff, and he's like, "Dude, I like the riff, you know, let's let's embellish on it." I'm like, "Fuck yeah, dude, you know, anything, you know, I'm all 
I'm always about being what's whatever's best for the song and for the band. And that's that's where I, I grew up with and came from. Is guys who kind of knew that that in order for bands to succeed, you know, it's there's not not everyone's going to have that time to shine. But you know, we lift one of the guys who's right, who is shining up, and we put him on our shoulders for the world to see. And that's kind of like what I think is what's best about you know being in a band that understands you know the old school kind of thinking. Yeah, well, Jimmy, well, I when we saw you last year, it definitely had the feel that it was a band, and I'm assuming like that a lot of this stuff was you know it's written uh, as a band that it doesn't feel like it's it's four separate guys that just get together every now and again and play. That you got you got the camaraderie there, you know. You definitely look like you're enjoying yourself. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and again, I, I think that it comes from the, that that where we all come from. I think we all come from an era in music where bands can, you know, be on stage and kind of know their positions. Everyone knows this is my job. I do this, and you do that. And and when we do it together, we create the sound. And, and that you know, it, it always confuses me when I see somebody trying to do you know all the heavy lifting and it's like, dude, you got a great band behind you. You can, you know, utilize those guys and, and, and you know, give them some stuff to do, you know? So, yeah, I, I, I definitely know that when we play and we're on our game, it, it sounds like a So Jimmy, one of the other things I noticed when we saw you play was George, it looked like he spontaneously started, you know, playing a different song that wasn't in the set. Uh, does that happen a lot? <laughs> well, I, you might have saw us on a good night because a lot of times he does that. He does that and we're all going, what? What song is this? <laughs> yeah, so Jimmy, it, it does happen a lot then. That, that does happen often. That does happen. So did you ever get George to... Uh, Maybe play some Bullet Boy songs in the sound check or even in the set list, or does that not even happen? Well, we do for the love of money, which is the OJ's cover. We do that in the actual set from time to time, and at sound check we'll do that as well. Just you know, it's a, a fun groovy track, you know, and everyone loves that song from the OJ's, and, and so that we mess around with. It. And I think what Oni introduced to me a lot of times when I start playing the the opening drum beat to it, the guys have. Um, they jump in and, and they'll, we'll go up to like the bridge and then we'll drop out. So it's fun. It's cool. Yeah. So, so Jimmy, on this album, uh, you worked with Chris Collier, who of course has worked with George a lot in the last couple of years. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your relationship in the studio with him? Was, was he tough on you at all? Well, Chris is, you know, he's a musician and, and I know a lot of producers are musicians, but he's a musician that really understands, you know, when a band is trying to achieve a sound or achieve a certain thing, he's <clears throat> he's he's good about that. But the other thing that I like about Chris is that, you know, he knows how to kind of crack the whip when when people are hamming and hollering about something and trying to, you know, well, what about this riff? And what about this? He's like, you guys, it's this riff. Let's move to the next song. And that, you know, because a lot of times, you know, when you have the leisure of, of endless amount of time in the studio, per se, of course not, no one really does, but, you know, like the old days, like, you know, you were on a schedule, you were on a budget, you know, that, that dictated time schedule. So, you know, you're, you're spending $22, $2,400 a day 
at, at, at one-on-one studios right there in Lancashire in North Hollywood, you know, the producer's going, hey, let's get to work. Let's get it done. You know, this money, this is money that's costing. This is your money. So, you know, today, you know, you kind of have a lot of those where you can record at somebody's place or my studio or somewhere, and it just feels like there's no rush for time. So that's where you kind of need somebody to come in and crack the whip and say, you guys, that's it. This is a song. You guys just overthought it. And, and he's good about, you know, expressing that. And, and he's a drummer. So for me, you know, drumming, you know, working with a, a producer who drums understands all that stuff. So that for me is as cool as well. So Jimmy, the song I love on the album is uh, Last Call Lady. It's got this great 80s hard rock up-tempo, uh, you know, it's got this summer vibe to it. Uh, would you agree with me on that one? <laughs> yeah, that, that to me, that is one of the songs that I think that people during summer will be playing more than uh, most of the record. It's, just, it's got that for me, that summer thing that I like in rock bands in, in general. You know, people like to say 80s or hair metal, which I always find a funny, silly term. But any band that kind of has, you know, the ability to write that kind of uplifting, you know, rock song that still has rock integrity, but it also has, you know, those familiar chords like ACDC or, you know, uh, just that kind of 70s vibe or 80s vibe that's just, but it's today. And, and that's one of those songs that I think that I was able to do that. And it's just, it's, it's upbeat and it's got like just good, um, it's just got that good vibe to it. And I like that. <laughs> Jimmy and the other track that I think is amazing on the album is uh, Dogtown Mystics what are your memories of writing that one yeah you know, again uh, those songs we really put together in the studio I mean one of them we, we jammed uh, Dogtown Mystics we, we had jammed that you know at a rehearsal one time because George had uh, had this that riff and then we all just jumped in and it just came on and then started to like piece together just, like you know have a basic structure of it and then when we got into my studio and because we did all the pre-production at my studio, uh, we sat there and we like, okay, well, that part's cool. Let's go over, the, how do we get from here to here? And then right there on, on the fly, just put it all together and did the rush here. And um, I'm telling you, that, I play that thing full blast over, like, the, I have a little PA here. And um, I played it for some friends, and they were like, dude, this is like, this is like Sabbath Led Zeppelin stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what we were going for, so I'm glad that it came across like that. Yeah, and the other thing that I love about the track is it's got this monster drum sound on it. Uh, was that something that Chris Collier pushed? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm telling you, I, I know because again, cause he, he's a drummer and he understands, you know. But uh, yeah, it's, I, I just I, I love anytime you can hear and feel the bass drum. A lot of bands in their productions, you can't, you can kind of feel the bass drum every now and again. But I like the Led Zeppelin, the Van Halen, the, you know, the Aerosmith, all those guys back in the day, their bass drums are always just right, and you can feel them in your chest, and I like that. Yeah, so Jimmy, I want to talk to you for a little bit about, you know, Lies, Deceit, and Treachery, the band that you have now with uh, with Lonnie Vincent and Mick Sweda. Um, would it be fair to say that, like, 
you guys hadn't kept in touch over the years? Actually, no. <laughs> no, that, that, that's incorrect. You know, it, it's a, an amazing journey that this thing, this life situation we got going on. Uh, we all got separated for a long time. You know, Lonnie moved and lived in Texas. Um, you know, me and Mick had been working off and on throughout the years, but uh, he had lived he had lived up north in Merced, California, which is you know it's, it's it's you know four to six hours, four to five hours away. So you know, we tried our best to get together where we could, and we'd worked on riffs over the years. But the truth was, you know, we knew that in order for us to do it, we were going to need to get an actual rock singer who can, you know, because people, no matter what we do, they're going to want to hear some Bullet Boy songs, or at the very least, smooth up and for love of money. So um, we, we, you know, off and on, off and off and on, and then I reconnected with Lonnie because Lonnie was still playing with the old singer for a while, and I told her, I said, dude, I go, if you can stop messing around and want to do it right, you know, do it the right way, I go, let me know one day. And, you know, within, like, I think from two years from that time period, he called me and goes, dude, I'm done with this guy. I can't do it anymore. I want to do it. And he goes, what's up? And I said, I'm playing with Mick. And he goes, are you kidding? And I said, no. And he's like, dude, he goes, we should all sit down. So we had to have a breaking of the bread. We had to have to clear some air of the past, you know, and, um, and even now, it's still, you know, we've been doing this, you know, once we found the right singer, too, we found this great singer, Shane Tassart. And um, once we found Shane, it was like, wait a minute, we really have something here, so let's make sure that, that we put our best foot forward. So we've just been writing new material, and we've done about, I think, one of the three or four shows over the last year and a half. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but I, you know, everybody has their own lives and their own schedules. And for a minute there with Lynch Mob, I got really busy, and I told the guys I can't do anything, you know, for a while because I got Lynch Mob. And then, you know, once Lynch Mob opened up this year, we have just been riding all the time, and we got a show coming up in September 1st at the Whiskey of Go-Go. It's our first time playing L.A. since we played, uh, we did a reunion show seven years ago. Um, and so it's our first time, and we're just, you know, it's such a, such a different vibe. I think, you know, you talk to enough musicians, or maybe yourself, you're a musician, and you know, when you find, like we talked about early on, when the vibe in the band is good, and everybody's just happy, go lucky, they understand there's work, and they want to, you know, just go out there and have a great show, that, that really is a different experience uh, when you've had stress and anxiety in the band. So, um, you know, this is a really cool thing, I think, you know, I don't know how much, you know, we can do at this point. Like you said, you know, if it's later in the game, but we're talking to some labels, we're talking to some people, you know, we're trying to get uh, hooked up with a booking agent, you know, but, um, I want to do it right. You know, I, I don't want to just run off half cock and then, you know, in six months become frustrated because, you know, things went wrong. You know, I, I'd rather just take it slow and, and do it right. So it's, it's fun for everybody and there's some money involved and we can make some records. And that to me is, uh, you know, that's the dream right there. So I'm hoping it all comes together. Yeah. So Jimmy, I always ask the drummers about their, their worst stage related injury. And when I had Mike Portnoy on, he told me that he broke his wrist on stage. Oh my God. Doing some fill when he was playing with Dream Theater. So what's the worst drum related injury you've ever suffered on stage? Well, there's two, um, one was I, um, I, I smashed my finger in between. So the stick, the, then there's the finger, then there's the snare drum, the rim of the snare drum. And I just came down in a really weird way. I mean, just like I, this, I think that what happened, the snare head moved towards me. And essentially what I did is I exploded my finger. My finger like was just open. It looked like, like somebody had dropped a hammer on, on a, on a watermelon is what it looked like. And uh, that was pretty bad because I had to go. I had to get rushed to the hospital, and there was a whole you know process there. But uh, the other one was in a rehearsal one time, and this freaked me the fuck out. Uh, <laughs> I was getting into the rehearsal. I was having a good time with the band that hired me for a show, and I came down from up above me. I happened to turn my head left, and I hit myself full throttle in the eye. Oh wow! And I went. I went black. It went blind. I, I couldn't see out of my my left eye, and I I dropped the sticks. I, I kind of I, I quickly walked around the rehearsal room, and I couldn't see out of my left eye. I thought I thought I fucking went blind. I thought I hit myself where I detached uh, detached the, the retina or something, and um, 
that freaked me out. And, and then I, you know, I was on the phone with, you know, cause my mom works for an optometrist and she knows a little bit about this. And, and then, uh, you know, we were talking to some people there and I was, and little by little, I could see just little white sparkles every like, like after about 20 minutes, I started to see just a little bit of something. And I was like, holy shit, I think it's coming back. But meanwhile, we were, I was driving to the hospital. And then by the time I got to the hospital, it was just like, kind of like looking through a straw. And then, and so, you know, little by little, they said, well, let's just stay here and let's just check. And they, 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 they could tell that I had, I had a pretty bad hit there, but they said that I was fine. And of course, by the end of the night, my vision had come back. So that to me is still one of the scariest experiences I've had since drums. Yeah, Jimmy, I just want to ask you about uh, one of the Bullet Boys albums. And I'm sure a lot of people ask you about the debut or, or freak show. But um, I really like the Zaza album, and I just want to ask you what your memories are of making that record. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because you're, well, first of all, you're absolutely right. I don't get asked a lot about Zaza. But uh, yeah, it was just, it was such a, um, it was like, I wouldn't say we gave up, but we had just become so frustrated with our singer. We just, it, it was, it was not a real band anymore. Um, everybody had written so, like, you know, like a half a dozen songs and brought them into Ted Templeman. So literally like, it was like people were writing songs on their own. Like, you know, Mick was probably the most, you know, he, he was, he's always been the most, um, prepared as far as recording wise. So he always had a studio in, in his apartment or in his house. He always, you know, even back then he did. And, um, so, you know, he probably brought in the bulk of it. And I, and I think Lonnie brought in like three or four and I brought in two. And, uh, you know, and then, and then sure Mark brought in one or two songs, but, you know, it just was done like in, in like one person would come in and sit with Templeman, the other person would come in and sit with Templeman. And then, then we rehearsed and we had to learn each other's songs. And so it was a really, it was done in such a way that I've never even known that a record could be done. But, um, but every now and again, I'll, I'll put the record on and I'll go, you know what? You can't tell that that's how that happened. You really can't tell. And, um, it's just it's just funny because that's like during the time period where you could you could feel everybody was letting go. Everybody was like, you know, like me and Mick knew at some point in the future we were going to be. At least I knew I was going to be leaving the band because I just couldn't take it anymore. I just, I, you know, it's just constantly walking on eggshells and frustration, and and now the money's running out, and now you know it's just it's all you know like it's like that movie or like that story you've heard of a million bands, you know. Uh, and all it took was, you know, uh, with a few really small things that happened that made people just walk away from the band. But, um, but I listened back to that record and, and you know what? There's some really good tracks on that record. I, I, I like it a lot. And I'm like, wow, I forgot that, you know, we did sit down for a while. We did work on stuff. And, and Nick and I really, at that time, we, we were really close. So I know we got to work on stuff. And, I, and me and Lonnie have always kind of, we knew our pockets. So it wasn't like we had to have like a hundred rehearsals. We probably rehearsed like maybe like about a week and a half, two weeks for that whole record. And we just tracked it like in a matter of maybe 10 days, me and Lonnie, and we'd be done with it. So, um, but, you know, it, it, it was really kind of a, it was written and recorded just so, uh, backwards for me. It just, it was a really interesting time period. But, uh, again, like I said, if I had got on with the singer and we all did, I think we'd still be a band to this very day. And that's amazing. Yeah, I want to ask you about one of the songs on the album, um, Sing a Song. It, it's very ballady, and you had nothing like that on, on the first two records. Um, who brought that song in? Dude, that was, that was Lonnie. That was Lonnie. Yeah, Jimmy, and that one is, uh, that Sing a Song is, was really different for you guys. Dude. You know, and, and again, there were other songs that I, you know, I still have the demos. I wish I could, like, master them and put them out, because, dude, seriously, there are some other songs that I reckon that you would go this is fucking great. This is fucking great. I mean, it's just, it, there's this real kind of like big chorus but they're more along the lines of like stick. You know, it's just, it was just, we really took some really, some, some, some left turns and took us in some cool places. And yeah, and, and Sing a Song to Me is one of those songs that I, I put on and I was like, fucking funny. He came with that bass. He just goes, hey, Nick, I got this bass on. I started playing that thing right there. And then Mick started, you know, coming in with chords and figuring shit out. And before you knew it, man, that song was, was like, okay, this is good. This is good. You know? Yeah. So, Jimmy, so, uh, do you think you'd be playing um, many of the songs off Saza in the set at all? We are playing. Yes, we are playing. Uh, you know, we're, we're still figuring out the set list for the show coming up. And uh, I'd like to 
think that we'll be able to play, you know, some songs that we've always wanted to play, but never had the opportunity to. So I'm hoping that we can get through a, a large set list. And, and of course, we have most of the first album and, and, you know, about four or five from the second record. And we have a couple of new things we're hoping to have is re uh, ready to go as well. So, um, once I'm telling you this, once I we get signed, because I have a, a funny feeling we're going to be getting signed somewhere in the next three to six months. Uh, I'd love to sit down with you again, and maybe you and Mick, and uh, get you in contact with Mick as well. And you're going to be playing When Pigs Fly. Um, I, I definitely hope you play that one, because I think that's one of the best Bullet Boys tracks on the first three records. You know, I, a lot of people have been asking for that, so I'll, I'll talk to them about that. Yeah, so Jimmy, to finish up, um, do you want to give out the social media links where people get, can get in touch with you at all? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the, uh, the uh, Lies, Deceit, and Treachery uh, Facebook page needs some love and attention, so uh, people can get out there and and, uh, and go like the Lies, Deceit, and Treachery page. That would be great. Yeah, so Jimmy, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I hope everything goes well with Lynch Mob and Lies, Deceit, and Treachery. And uh, if you get out there, hopefully I'll be able to see you and shake your hand and say hello. That would be awesome. Yeah, Jimmy. So take care and have a good rest of the day. You too, Rich. I appreciate it, brother. So up next is a chat that I had with Andreas Johansson of Air Raid. For those of you not familiar with Air Raid, they've been around since around 2009, coming out of uh, Gothenburg, Sweden. And they have got a couple of full lengths out. They put uh, Night of the Axe out in 2012, a classic Air Raid album. Uh, 2014, Point of Impact. And just recently, they put out their third full length. It's called Across the Line. It came out on High Roller Records. And since we got friends over at High Roller Records, I was able to get Andreas on bright and early on a Saturday morning, which is, of course, his afternoon, to talk to us all about Air Raid and their brand new release, Across the Line. All right, guys, on the line today, I have uh, Andreas Johansson from Air Raid talking about their brand new release, Across the line, and uh, so how are you guys doing? Uh, you pretty excited about this one coming out? Yeah, we are really excited. It's yeah. only yeah. a couple of weeks left uh, for the release, mm. and we are preparing for Europe tour, so it's going great. Oh, awesome! So, who are you going out with in Europe? Uh, we are heading out for like uh, twenty gigs mm. in ten different countries. So, yeah, it will be intense. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. So, yeah. you know, obviously I, I listened to this and uh, being a guitar player for a long time, uh, guitar tones on this thing are just, they're, they're amazing. They're pretty immense. And, and I definitely hear a, a pretty distinct uh, George Lynch influence in there somewhere. Um, I haven't really listened so much to George Lynch, but I guess it's the overall 80s thread style uh, guitar playing, you know. Yeah, 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 it's definitely the mode too. It's it's kind of interesting. I, I listen to it and I hear kind of like a, a kind of like a Lynch phrasing and influence, and all of a sudden you you know you go off and I'm like, wait a minute, now we're in Ingve territory and come back. So it's pretty cool <laughs> to hear the the two of those together in one song, but it it, it blends really seamlessly. Yes, thanks a lot. Yeah, and uh, the other thing I really like about this is that it, you know it really does have that that like classic more or less like an 80s sound to it uh, of a lot of the great bands that were coming out and you know definitely like bands that i really like back in the day but with with kind of more of a, a crisper sound a little bit more of the mids in there is that something you guys worked hard on on getting or is that just something that came naturally you mean the the recording the sound of the record yeah the overall yeah, sound the overall. um yeah you know we are everyone in the band has grown up on the 80s music you know it's it came very natural mm. it, it's it just uh happened mm. yeah you know it is definitely it's really cool thanks a lot yeah and you know because like i've always been a big fan of, of bullet and i've always liked their stuff and but this has just got something that puts it just in a whole other category a little bit over the top and i just think it's it's that overall just that crispness and uh clarity that you guys had in the recording yeah I think a uh, bullet is more like a um, straightforward Judas Priest uh, mm. style, and I think we are more about the uh, you know shred eighties U almost like U.S. metal right. style sometimes, and you know.
course, you guys did the one thing that all the U.S. metal bands didn't is the fact that you guys did an album that's got some great shred in it, but there's no ballads on here, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, we we haven't really ever thought about doing a ballad. Just I don't know if if we will ever do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, don't do one. You guys got no, so much okay. cool stuff to offer. It's like I was so happy. <laughs> like nine tracks, no ballad, and and an instrumental. I'm like, all right, I'm sold. Yeah, that was great to hear. And uh, now, was that um, was that something that you guys originally set out to do, as far as the instrumental with that, with entering the zone zero, or is that just something that you guys was you know was it ever always intended to be an instrumental, or was it just kind of some cool riffing that happened that you decided to keep it as an instrumental? Um, we, we knew that we wanted to have an instrumental, mm-hmm. but you know uh, we were working on uh, some melodies and stuff and. And the riff, uh, the, the new guitarist Magnus uh, came up with this riff in um, Entering Zone Zero. And uh, I just thought this could be the instrumental we are looking for, you know. Mm. So we just uh, worked fr- uh, from this from this point. So And, and uh, another thing I like is um, Line of Danger. Overall, like I said, great song on there, but also... The lyrics, those lyrics for, for Line of Danger could easily be a Motorhead lyric. It's, it's just got that kind of that little bit of, of Lemmy sensibility to it as well, like coupled with this great kind of U.S. metal thing. I was like, wow, that's really, that's a cool mix. Yeah, I like the Line of Danger has like um, the mix of very much melodies, but, but also heavy at the same time. So I like this mix. Yeah, I think a lot of the songs really have that, that type of thing that, that goes in there. So yeah. I know you guys, it, it's what, it's been three years since the last release. Is that right? Yeah, three years. And um, I'm going to assume you guys weren't writing just this stuff in that three years. So kind of what was the timeline for getting this album together? Um, after the, the last album, Point of Impact, we, uh, we were playing a bit in Europe and stuff, but the, the singer had a family and stuff, so he couldn't uh, really have so much time for the band as we wanted so we <clears throat> so we quit the band and uh, i have a really hard time to write song write for an unknown singer it's impossible so re- literally the songwriting went just off for maybe a half a year or even more and this uh, across the line album is actually written in exactly 11 months written and recorded. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I think that's a, one of the reasons to that it has the it feels like all the songs uh, has the same feel. Hmm. Yeah, they definitely do and and uh, you know another cool thing about these is you know whenever I'm going and I'm listening to a new album, first I listen to it as like the music fan and then I listen to it either as the producer or as the guitar player. And you kind of get that, that whole thing, the whole sense of it. And, and I think that people really should listen to this a little bit more deeply because although some of these songs sound very straight ahead, there's actually a lot of nice things that are going on between what you do and what Magnus does in the guitars. And then even also what Robin's doing on bass, especially for like, uh, for like Helen Back and uh, Northern Light kind of things that, are, that the bass are doing in there behind you guys. And I think there's just more going on than if you just kind of let this thing go by you quick. Yeah, I think I think it's important to have like um, the first view of the song should be quite easy to understand, and and when you dig deeper, you should find new stuff. And I, I'm I'm happy to hear that you you did it. The thing is, they're all so approachable. They just you know you've got great hooks in every single one, which is awesome. And again, no ballads, so that makes it even more awesome. <laughs> But, but so it just makes it like you just you just want to listen and you almost are having such a good time listening to it that you kind of forget to really listen to it. But, yeah, I urge everybody to to uh, when they get this thing to really listen to it, because there's there's a lot of stuff in there. Then it's it's more than what immediately, hit you know, kind of like hits your ear. So, uh, yeah, just I think you guys did just an awesome job on this. Thanks a lot, man. So. You know, all these, I, I listen to all these, and these are definitely songs that all seem like something that you guys could easily pull off live. None of these things are kind of like a studio-only track. And, and for the, when you guys go out, are you guys going to be playing like almost all of these ones? Um, when we go on tour now, the, the um, 
that list will be like 50-50. Mm. 50% new songs and 50% old songs. Okay, all right. Yeah. I know you have a couple of classic tracks that you, you really have to play, you know, I mean, but uh, I just figured maybe with, with Frederick being more new, you know, new in the band, and these are kind of like his songs that you'd maybe lean more towards these than, than a lot of the older ones. Yeah, of course, we will put much focus in the, in the new ones, and we, we think it's not in dimension for the band, so we have to play as much as possible, hmm. but not lose the old stuff at the same time, uh, you know. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a blend. Yeah. So the, the title of the album, Across the Line, I, I think it's kind of interesting, especially since you, you, know, you have no, uh, no song called Across the Line, except close, you know, closely being like Line of Danger. So uh, yeah. where, did, where did that album title come from? Um, we were just, actually, I came up with the name after we were thinking a lot, and I'm, we, the album is basically about, uh, you know, pushing the limit and go one step further than everyone else, like go across the line, you know, okay. and it, it shows in like aiming for the sky and songs like this. It's just about to push it to the limit, you know? <laughs> okay. Yep. No, that makes sense. I mean, cause you're right. I mean, aiming for the sky has that kind of a thing. Helen back, Raider die, even black Dawn. There's <laughs> definitely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's behind that. So yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of curious cause I, you know, I, I look at, some of the other song titles and I'm thinking, well, that could easily be a, you know, an, an album title as well, especially like aiming for the sky would be a, you know, a, a great one. Cause you know, here it is coming back after three years, you guys are aiming for yep. the sky kind of a thing. So yeah, just, you know, curious on my part, why you would uh, pick that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, being a guitar player, I, I hear these great tones and, and I have to, and since I'm talking to a guitar player, I get to talk gear a little bit. What kind of gear were you guys using on this? This was um, recorded with a camper oh, okay. profile oh, okay. amp, mm-hmm. and we it sounds just amazing. It's uh, it's it's very close to now. I'm thinking about we had some we were doing some um, settings with the Paul Gilbert uh, Marshall amp uh, simulated. I forgot uh, what he used. For you guitar aficionados out there wondering exactly which amp he's talking about, he is of course talking about Paul Gilbert's famous 74 Marshall JMP 50 watt head that was modified by Lee Jackson. Uh, of course, a great amp modifier right up there with the uh, Jose, but uh, definitely an, a legendary amp and a great addition to the Kemper Arsenal having that one in there. So very cool that uh, they use this one for across the line. It's, it's this uh, thing. It's, it's really nothing special except the, this uh, camper. Hmm. It's not, a, yeah. yeah. And of course, equalizer. The, the mixer, the mix guy, uh, really did an amazing job. Oh, yeah. You know? no, the campers are really cool. I know that uh, Alex Skilnick from uh, Testament just posted a, uh, a picture the other day of he sampled his amps back at the at the studio and now he had that back at his at his place he's like yeah i brought my big rig back home and he all he had was his mac and his kemper and uh yeah they, you can get amazing tones out of that thing yeah it's, it's really great and and also it's great for traveling because this is magnus uh amp the the other guitarist in the band mm. and he can bring it wherever he wants for us hand luggage on the plane you know yeah that, that, <laughs> I mean, that is awesome to be able to do that too because yeah it was always the thing you know I look at what I've got now for for gear and what I could put on the road, and then I look back at, at my stack and be like, "I'm so glad I don't have to carry that thing around anymore. <laughs> I just bring like yeah. a, you know a, a four space rack, and I'm good to go." Yeah, it's, exactly. So, um, what about uh, what about guitars? What are you playing for guitars these days? Uh, I'm I'm always playing Stratocasters. Okay. Uh, I have the um, my main one is a Japanese uh, Strat mm-hmm. from '85. Ah. Uh, I, I really like them because I, I don't really feel any difference from American strats and Japanese strats. Mm-hmm. Only that the Japanese strats are half the price. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I choose. Now, now on, on that Japanese strat, did you change the pickups out at all? Because I've got a strat from '84, uh, and uh, and of course, a lot of time when I had it, people were looking at it like, "Oh, that's not an American one." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, in '84, they didn't make them in America. They only made them in Japan." And the only thing I didn't like about it, and, and I still haven't gotten around to changing the pickups on it, is that they're just really low output pickups. You know, I put any of my other strats up, 
and you get this really, you know, kind of that great sound. But did you have to change the pickups on yours? Yeah, I have definitely changed them. It's a uh, stacked, uh, uh, stacked single coil, you know what I mean? Uh, it's a super distortion in okay. the, okay. in the, oh my God, now I've tried to find the English word for. So it's, so it's basically, uh, uh, it's the Demarzio with the uh, humbucker yeah. and a single coil? Yeah, it's a dis um, it's a distortion in the what is it called? Help me find the English word for you know where you take the string through the down on the guitar. <laughs> I forgot the name. In, in the pickup closest to the ah uh, the bridge of in course. The bridge, yeah. <laughs> the bridge pickup. It's yeah. a super distortion. Okay. And in the neck neck pickup is a tone zone uh, Demarcio. So. Oh, okay. All right. So, and also I play scallop, which also minus uh, do scalloped. Oh. Okay. Board. Then that definitely helps you get some of the Ingve wrists down then, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really great for bending and it's so easy to, you know, you're never in contact with the wood and feels free. Yeah. Now, do you are you doing the, the, the whole neck scalloped or are you doing more, you know, on the higher frets scalloped? It's uh, straight through the whole neck. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, definitely Ingve style. I know some guys, they'll end up just like scalloping down from maybe like the ninth fret down after that. And, and they leave like, you know, the, uh -huh. the, the first nine frets are, are more of the, the just a regular radius fretboard. Yeah. yeah. So they, they kind of get that combination of great, you know, great cording, but then also kind of the, the fluidity to be able to do stuff when they're, when they're doing oh, yeah. solos. Yeah, I've never tried this, but... Hmm. I should find sometime. Yeah, I mean that's one thing with strats, right? The bolt-on necks, so you can change things out pretty easily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So as as far as um, as far as a tour now, when did you say you guys are going to be going out? Uh, we are leaving on twenty uh, ninth. Uh, same day we will play in Hamburg hmm. in Germany on the same day as the album oh. released. Okay. Then we are heading down for almost a month in Europe. And. Um, I know it's always tough for, for European bands coming over here to the U.S., but um, you see any of that coming up in the future of maybe even doing something small here in the States? We would really like to come over to USA. Mm -hmm. We have tried a bit before, but we didn't find really the chance. Um, I, I'm, we are thinking about, I'm in contact with a guy in California who has an underground festival called Frost and Fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So I have... He's interested to bring us over, and we will see if it's possible. Mm, yeah, no, you guys would be great on Frost and Fire. Definitely, uh, uh, it, that's even kind of more of a, more like a, a European-style bill, too, because it's one thing I find in the U.S. a lot of times is that you have festivals, but they're, like, very delineated as to who's on the festival, as opposed to, you know, you talk about Sweden Rock, you guys got everybody on that. And, yeah. you know, no, and kind of it's like everyone, everyone likes it. And you, you kind of have the opposite here where it's very defined where you've got, you know, it's a festival, but it's all like all death metal or it's all, you know, but Frost and Fire is very European-like in that they've got a broad bill. So that, yeah, you guys would be great on that. Yeah, I, I think it would be perfect. So many Swedish bands and European bands coming over playing there. So yeah, yeah, it'd be really fun. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And and it's, uh, you know, as I said, it's, it's definitely an, an awesome album. I put it on and the first thing i'm like what is the with the water in gothenburg like what the hell <laughs> it's like every time i get an album from from sweden it's it's just like it's great stuff and, uh, <laughs> thanks a lot so you know people listening to this and going out you know that maybe have not heard of air raid yet where, where should they go online to uh to find out more about you guys and how they can contact you and all that um the main uh, place to check us out is of course facebook um it's just air raid and um, on YouTube. We we actually don't have a homepage yet, a website. We are working on it. So, but uh, the main place is Facebook for sure. If people have it, it's always toughest. I think when I ask this question to either singers or guitar players, especially the guys who are the who are the ones writing the stuff. But right now, what do you think is stacks up as your favorite track on the album? Uh, as, as you say, it's difficult when I've been so involved uh, heavily in the songwriting, but I don't know, my favorites, maybe um, 
Aiming for the Sky and Helen Back, mm-hmm. I think, is my, my favorite. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely really partial to Helen Back at the moment. It's just something about that song and the way you guys put it together. It's, uh, yeah, I just, I really like that one right now. Yeah, the, the other guy that interviewed me said exactly the same thing. I think maybe it's something you were saying they like uh, Helen Back. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a, probably, like I said, probably my favorite track on it right now. I don't know what oh. it is yet, but at, at this point, I don't even want to figure out what it is. I just want to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. I, I really appreciate you taking a little bit of time on your Saturday afternoon to, uh, to talk to us. And uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, to the next Air Raid album, and I'm looking forward to uh, promoting the heck out of this one. So uh, thanks again for coming on, and uh, best of luck on the album release and the tour. Thanks a lot for the interview, and hope this talk again soon. Awesome. All right. Have a good one. Thank you very much. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye. That is a wrap for yet another week of Focus on Metal. Big thanks to a Jimmy DeAnda for coming on. And again, you can head up to ratpackrecords.com. Get yourself your own copy of The Brotherhood. And as I mentioned, great bundles available with T-shirts and all that good stuff. All available for you right there at ratpackrecords.com. If you don't want to do it that way, you can also go right to focusonmetal.net. And I've got a link right there on the main homepage to go right over to that Rat Pack Records page. So I've done the work for you already. Just go up to focusonmetal.net. Click that. Bam, you are there ready to pick up your brand new lynch mob music and also big thank yous go out to andreas johansson for coming on the show and talking all about the brand new air raid release across the line now at the time that i'm doing the mix on this episode the only release for that that's available in the u.s at the moment is the import one which is a little bit pricey But uh, I did get in contact with the label rep, and he said that they are working out distro for the domestic release. So who knows? By the time you are hearing this, it in fact may have a domestic distro and uh, be available at all your usual metal music outlets here in the States. So hopefully you guys thought that was a good mix between George Lynch and Lynch Mob and uh, kind of a lynch mob meets or at least a george lynch meets ingve sound with air raid i don't know i thought it was a good mix so what is in store next week well if all works out and i think that it uh it's going pretty well at the moment we are going to do a warlock triumph and agony anniversary special hopefully a lot of you have been able to go out and catch doro on her triumph and agony anniversary dates and she has been toting along a special guest the one, the only, the guy who played all the lead guitar on Triumph and Agony, Tommy Bolin. Yep, out on the road with uh, Doro and the rest of her band. 
celebrating the anniversary of Triumph and Agony. And we uh, managed to catch up with Tommy, had a great talk with him. And as I said, if all comes together for next week, then you'll be hearing Tommy's tale of triumph and agony. So stay tuned for that one, and we get some other great stuff coming up as well. But as for this week, stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, as we always say, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.